My guest today is an artist who also deals with graphic arts and healing arts. Please welcome Jawad Abdul-Jabbar. Jawad, how's it going? Oh, fine, man, fine. Good, fine. good, man, it's great. How about on your end? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine. I'm doing good, man. <laughs> Thanks for asking, and thank you also for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate uh, it. I appreciate the invitation, man. Ah, good, yeah. good. So let's jump right into it. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm an artist, for starters. Mm -hmm. Music, graphic art, a healing artist. Um, I finally accepted myself as being an artist on ice. I'm an ice skater. I've been skating since I was eight oh. years old. And uh, considering the fact I get mistaken for a professional frequently, uh -huh. I'm an artist on ice as well. Okay, I like yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so so now you've been doing this professionally for over 20 years, correct? Easily. Uh, okay. And you've been doing everything from playing guitar, the banjo, you're a vocalist, you're a songwriter, you're a poet. So how'd you get into this? How'd you get into music? How'd you just get into arts in general? What influenced you? My mom bought me a guitar when I was eight mm. years old for Christmas. And she did that because I was always trying to make music in some form or fashion, always beating on things, drumming, that type of thing. So she figured, let's occupy and channel that energy into right. an instrument. And, and that was what I got for Christmas when I was eight years old. And the rest is history, man. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So eight years old, you get the guitar. And have there been any musical influences throughout the uh, years? Well, definitely. I mean, uh, Jimi Hendrix. As far as guitars, Jimi Hendrix, a guy named Grant Green, Joe Pass. There's, there's a long list. Uh, Santana, uh, Jack Glauflin, with Chet Atkins. I'm from mm -hmm. all genres of, uh, you know, anybody you could pick. Right. You know, even, uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember the old show, Hee Haw, where they yes. played banjos yes. and guitars yes. and mandolins. I mean, I sat transfixed. In front of the TV, <laughs> you know, because uh, they were playing cements on the level that I wanted to achieve. Right, right. Okay, that's great. And now, now when you're young, you're eight years old, you're starting this. Did you take lessons? Basically self-taught. And what really got me rolling with this is someone told uh, the music teacher, grade school, that I play guitar. And she said, oh, yeah, well, bring your guitar tomorrow. And so after class, she brought the guitar. She played piano. And she said, play something for me. And I played her some stuff that I learned myself. And she said, that's pretty good. Do you know how to read music? I said, no, but I know how to read chord charts. So she gave me sheet music to a song called Born Free, which was the theme song for a movie back in the day. And I learned the music for it. And she said, that's great. Now you can perform it this Friday oh. at, the, at the assembly. I said, what? Wow. <laughs> so I practiced, got it sharp, and I played that song in front of the entire school. Oh. And uh, so from that point, I was pretty much hooked on the, what? choosing the song, learning the song, perfecting the song, performing the song, and then, of course, getting the, reaping the benefits of satisfaction of completing that task, but also the applause, right. which just, like, put the icing on the cake. Right. And eight years old, man, you know, you're on top of the world when all right. that happens. <laughs> so, really, it's just been a, a replay of that throughout my, my life on some level, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you're self-taught, and you're basically thrown into the fire, and you... you you did it. You, uh... well, I, I got to have. I got to give credit to high school. The summer that I graduated, I had a teacher, 
And I think I, I wasn't with him more than three or four months because he left town after that. Mm. But he taught me how to read and play very exotic jazz chords. Right. And from that point on, I mean, I said that he was like a musical psychedelic for me in a sense of expanding my tonal colors and sounds I heard in my head, I could actually play finally, you know? Yeah. And I was getting to that level, or at least knocking on the door, the level that I wanted to achieve as far as being able to play guitar and express myself instrumentally. I wasn't even singing back then. Oh, okay. So, as far as the guitar, ahead. he got you to, to the next level. Oh, absolutely. I mean, okay. I mean, quantum leap, quantum oh, leap. Wow. So, I, so about three or four months I had him as a teacher. And, and after that, the rest is history, as I say. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about songwriting? That's always been intriguing to me. How do you go about that? How do you go about writing songs? Are you sitting by yourself thinking about it? Are you outside? Uh, it, can, it can happen outside, but I'm usually by myself. Okay. Unless I'm co-writing, I'm always by myself. Okay. Because it's kind of like you have to quiet yourself and tune in mm. and open yourself up to what drops into you. I, you yeah. know, I consider it a divine gift, every song. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, Definitely. I feel like it's magic every time oh. a songwriter comes up with a song. I consider it magic true. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay, and you also, so, so the songwriting, you're playing the guitar, the banjo. You also teach, right? You're teaching. Yeah, I'm a teaching artist. I, I, right. I work with young audience in Houston, and I have several programs. One is Jojo Get Your Banjo, where I deal with the history of banjo from Africa all the way to the bluegrass. Mm. And I play four different banjos in that show. There are three different call and response songs that connect with history and different things. For instance, there's a resonator banjo, which is considered like the bluegrass banjo. Mm -hmm. And I associate that with the Civil War. And uh, the song that I wrote deals with the conflict between two brothers. And of course, you take it to the level of conflict between the North and the South. So the storytelling, that's another thing. I do storytelling as well. Yeah. So it's a combination of music, history, and storytelling. So I do that with each instrument. And of the four instruments that I play, four banjos I play, two of them I've made. One I made here in the house, which is, I consider it a prototype of the, the original banjo. They say the banjo is a uniquely American instrument. Yeah. However, it originated in Africa. So once I found that out, I was like, everybody needs to know this. <laughs> right. So, uh, so uh, that is a prototype of what they call the Alcontine, which came from the Gambia, West Africa. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons how the banjo got here is, of course, the Gambia comes from the Atlantic and goes inland through the Gambia River, almost 300 miles. So they could take the slave ships and go deep into the interior of Africa and, of course, bring Africans back out. But they also brought artifacts, which included the banjo. So that's how the banjo got to America. Oh, I didn't know so, that. So one of the banjos I made is a prototype of the Alcantine, which I call the great-great-grandfather of the banjo. The other banjo is a, a gourd. Both of them are made out of gourds. Gourd banjo that I went to a place called the Ozark Folk Center, and they had a class where you could learn how to build your own gourd banjo. Mm -hmm. And I went there, and uh, what, of uh, 12 to 15 students, I believe, five days. And on the sixth day, we all walked out with something that we created ourselves and constructed with the help of an instructor. Mm. Wow. Well, 
First of all, I didn't know a lot of that at all. So that's great. Oh, and, really? and just okay. you teaching, yeah. And just you <laughs> teaching me right now and, and uh-huh. just you teaching the work that you do through young audiences. Views. I think that it's just so great. It just opens up another world for people and people learn in different ways. And I, I love that you're teaching in this way that mm-hmm. you do. So, um, Thank and you, it reaches so many, yes, reaches so many kids and it's so impactful. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's fun for yeah. for me and for the kids. You can't beat that if you're learning and having fun. Right, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Can't beat that at all. All right, so now how long have you been doing that? How what long have you the, been teaching through like young audiences of Houston? Wow, I've been on that roster for a good 15 years now, oh, easily, wow. or, or you know, maybe even more. Because actually, I joined that roster in, in 2000. So 20 years, man. Not see you making me count right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Okay, I didn't know it was that long. That, that's wow, awesome. Me, well, I, I just realized it myself. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So also you've been on TV and radio, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. C- right. c- a couple of times, yeah. Now, they, uh, hmm? how did that feel? The first time that you're on a TV or the first time you're on a radio, your first time you heard yourself on a radio or the first time you saw yourself on TV, describe uh, that feeling. You know how uh, you may hear this from a lot of actors and artists and musicians that when they see themselves, it's just like, you know, oh. I, I have a mixed emotion. I have a little bit of that. But a lot of times what it takes is me backing off of it. Sometimes when I perform, I don't even look at it for a week. Or mm-hmm. a couple of days, because I'm thinking about all the things that I did Critique that I shouldn't have done. Yeah, right. you know, hypercritical. So yep. a lot of times I just back off, and when I come back to it, I enjoy it. Okay, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Okay, wow. All right. So you've been on TV, you've been on radio. You've also opened for artists like Dizzy Gillespie. Oh yeah, right. yeah. That that that's I'm very proud of. I yeah. Talk about that. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's uh, there was uh, uh what. Actually, the building is still the nightclub Gessner in West Park, mm-hmm. over in that area there. And they brought in national acts, uh, you know, weekly, basically, or mm-hmm. at least you know, bi-weekly. And uh, I happened to know one of the gentlemen that uh, worked at that club, and he knew about my music. And yeah. he said, how would you like to open up for? And he said, Dizzy Gillespie, and I almost jumped out of my shoes. <laughs> 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 so... Uh, yeah, um, to not necessarily share a stage at the same time, but share the stage in the sense of opening up for him. I mean, really amazing. Yeah, that is. That's amazing. awesome. <laughs> and also you've received congressional recognition from Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, often. Yeah, yeah. And I often forget about that. Thanks for reminding me of that as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. What yeah. was that like? What was And what was that about? Well, I mean, well, it was just rec- recognition of my, my artistry. And also, I've done a lot of uh, work with uh, Shape Community Center and the Pan-African Festival and the Kwanzaa. I mean, uh, virtually every year I'm there for that, at least recently, or at least over time. Right. And, of course, Sheila Jackson Lee is associated with Shape Center. And, uh, of course, the, the director, Deloitte Parker, it has been an activist from day one. I mean, he came up during the 60s. I, I don't know if you know much about TSU and the riots that went on back in the day doing the true movement. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, he was involved in that, of course, and anyone that's involved in the movement then and now is connected politically. And, of course, she, she Jackson Lee has a roots in the community. So right. that's how I, I got connected there. And, okay. I, and I, I, I would easily say that she's a fan of mine. I don't know how many events that I've been at that she spoke at. So she said, it's probably saying, 
it's that Juwan again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So you've you've done so much over your career. That's telling. That's telling that you're you know you're just an amazing uh, artist. And Thank you. you know, no problem at all. Now, can we talk about what a typical day for you is as an artist? Uh, I guess say pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say because I mean it's turned top, upside down right now. Right. But I mean, generally, I get up before the sunrise, pray, and uh, you know, quiet time, meditate, uh, work out, have breakfast, run my errands, and and usually most of the gigs are in the evening. If mm-hmm. I'm doing a restaurant, a wine bar, a coffee house, or whatever. But then also, it could also start off that morning where I'm jumping off and going to the classroom as well or doing a program in the cafetorium for 150 kids as well. So I'm not exclusively a night person when it came to music. And another thing I, I, I've really been blessed with as far as night, I've never really been much of a, like a music that played in clubs. Most of my things are restaurants, wine bars, and usually by midnight, I'm, I'm at home. Because okay. I don't know if you know, musicians that do clubs, they don't get home to 2 o'clock or 3 right. o'clock in the morning right. as a rule. So I've really been blessed then that way. And I've been blessed as far as being able to work with young audiences and work with kids. Right. Uh, after school programs, residencies, that type of thing. Love it. Love it. That's very, that's awesome. Now, now these the restaurants, the wine bars, these gigs, how are you getting those? How are you getting those gigs? Well, there was a period where I was gigging literally like 30, 35 times a month. I mean, it was insane, you know. Mm. There was one month where if you combine the residencies and the after-school programs and all the gigs I had and performances for kids, I actually had 56 performances in one month. If wow. you imagine, it was on that level at one and it, time. And is it you reaching out to these restaurants well, or venues? I booked myself and also worked with six other booking agencies. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so uh, that kept me busy constantly. Now, working with these booking agencies, is that something you knew getting into this, getting into being a professional artist, or is that something that kind of surprised you? And what other surprises were there for you? Anything, any misconceptions that people might not really know what goes on with you or any surprises that you had? Well, I I knew of booking agents. Okay. So you already knew. Yeah. And and of course, I I got a list of the agencies and and contacted them as well. One thing that was a surprise is most agencies I I was able to work with. And then there were a couple that it seemed like they were kind of clickish. And it's like, no matter what I did or how good I was, I just couldn't get into that niche, which, you know, I guess that's the real world with any profession. Really. Right. Right. Think about it. Yeah. But when there's certain stages that you like, I want to be there. And they control that stage, then it's kind of like, well, who knows, maybe one day. And sometimes it turns out that they don't book that venue and someone books it privately and you end up there anyway. Ah. You know, so that's happened too. I say, okay, somebody looking out for me. Right. Right. All right. So what skills and characteristics do you think are needed to be successful in your line of field? Of course, having that artistic bone is one of them. And I think that's probably something you're born with. But what other skills do you think are, are out there that you need to be successful? Oh, man. Uh, no doubt uh, you have to have business sense mm. or someone who has a business sense that's working with you. That's why a lot of artists have management as well as booking agents. You know, oh, okay. So booking agents get you work. The management can get you in the venues and the arenas that you wouldn't be able to do yourself. Right. And another thing is if you book yourself versus going through an agent or a manager, the artist it's kind of like standalone and doesn't have the, the ethos or the negotiating or leverage 
but you would have if you had, like for instance you know you may go to the gig they want to pay you a hundred dollars but you go to an agent you may get paid 300 for the same gig right. you know so that that's that kind of stuff is going as far as like i said you have to have uh you know uh business sense and you do need a team you need people to assist you there are people that do it by themselves but that's wearing many many hats and it can be quite stressful as well <laughs> yeah i guess very stressful and there's there's people out there that are experts at what they do they know what they're doing so exactly utilize them yeah exactly yeah. i always tell people no problem paying people right. who can do that for me yep exactly yeah. and i wonder if part of it is kind of a kind of the game that's being played where you have to kind of go through certain people that's, yeah, hey, that's a fact that's a fact yeah. right yeah yep yeah, well, just like with everything else. All right. So <laughs> now, what do you love about what you do? Well, I approach it from the foundation of love and healing as far as my, my music. I mean, I, that's, that's uh, you know, quiet prayer I do every, before every gig that my intent is to heal. You know, so that right there gives me a higher purpose. Right. You know, a higher mission. Uh, the other thing is, uh, even if that wasn't the case, I mean, anytime you get somebody who walks in and tells you, hey, you know, when I walked in here, I had a headache, but I left out here without a headache. Thank you for your soothing, mellow music. You know, when you do things like that or you impact people like that, then, you know, you're doing something. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, and you mentioned that. Uh, um, <laughs> it's interesting that I bring this song up because just the other night I was unable to sleep because the lyrics to a song that I wrote like 30 years ago started coming back into my head. Mm. And that particular song, I wrote it at a time that was really, uh, okay, you know, uh, like Steely Dan said, I cried when I wrote that song. Mm -hmm. Sue me if I play too long. Well, that's a lyric. But literally, I mean, tears were pouring out of my eye when I wrote that song. And years later, when I performed it one time, there was a lady in the audience that broke down into tears. She couldn't stop her tears when I played that song. And I said, okay, now I know that what I have in me can be transmitted directly, emotionally, yeah. you know, yeah. on the unseen to other people's hearts. So just knowing that the music has that potential yeah. is more than just something you tap your feet and shake your booty to. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And not only that, I think that it doesn't matter what type of person you are no matter what type of person, what language you speak or whatever, that music is kind of that magic we were talking about that mm -hmm. can heal your soul. So I love it. And are you also doing the music with the Children's Museum? Uh, not the museum, the Children's well, uh, actually, Hospital? I, oh, Texas Children's Hospital. Yes. But I, because I knew the artistic director at the Children's Museum, Okay, I, I was a regular there for oh, were, okay. six years, six, uh, seven years. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. when that changed, then that changed, you know? Right. But, uh, that's another thing. Right. When you have people that are looking out for you, they do that. And when they're right. gone, then it's like, let me knock on another door. Right. You know? But yes, Texas Children's Hospital. Yeah, I do what I call bedside concerts, yeah. where I go from room to room to room yeah. and play a song. And some people, they're not feeling good. And yeah. they say, no, not today. Then some people aren't feeling good. And they say, come on in. And yeah. they, they share with me that they feel better after that. Because right. I, I always try to play a song that will inspire them and yeah. uplift them. So I always tell people that's that's the gig that feeds my soul. The others may feed my tummy, but that's the one that feeds my soul. <laughs> I like that. All right. Now, what about on the flip side? What challenges are there? You talked about the clickish agents as being one. What what other challenges do you see out there? 
I'll be honest with you, uh, repertoire. Mm. If you keep up with uh, the current music, which I keep up with the current music anyway, but that's not necessarily the music I want to play. Right. And a, a, lot, a lot of my music is uh, classic. Mm. I mean, you know, standards and things like that, and originals that the originals reflect what's going on today a lot of time. The standards, if you find yourself approaching a venue that wants top 40 music, and, and I'm not, I don't do top 40 music, then don't even knock on that door. Right. I don't care how, how good I am or what level my art is on, it doesn't matter to them. Yeah, he's like, can you play such and such and such a song? I said, no. You know, you know, you need to learn that song. And it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, that, so it, you know, it comes a point where you don't want to compromise your artistry. Right. Just to get a gig. And also, okay, that's another thing, I'm older than I was when I first got in the industry. And a lot of times venues want younger artists and they want a younger repertoire as well. So, and that's just the way of the world. But also, there are places that still appreciate what I do. I just right. need to target them and find them. And, and I, I've had some oasis that continue to book me despite. Well, I like that. You said you don't want to compromise your art history. I think that's, that's genuine. And that's a characteristic right there that I think is much needed in a lot of people. And, well, I mean, on one level, it's like if you're doing something you love and there's no joy in it, mm -hmm. then you need to do something else or you need to readjust. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk about your most memorable moment. Do you have one? <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I shared one with you as far as that song that yes. I wrote when I cried and yeah. then the lady in the audience cried. I, I, you know, when you say most memorable but I would say most among the most impactful moments, the moments that I have when I'm at Texas Children's Hospital, right. and uh, it's one-to-one. -one. Uh, sometimes uh, it may be parents in the room or you know relatives in the room, but a lot of times it's just me and the patient, yeah. and that, that connection that you make is, uh, I don't, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. You know, I mean, I'm getting goose pimples just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, yeah. Yeah, it, no, it definitely is. That's, that's so impactful, that, that work that you do with all kids in general, but especially with the kids at the Texan Children's Hospital and that healing that you do. That's healing what it's arts, about. Yeah. yeah, the healing arts, yeah. Yep, yep. I was going to share with you that I'm, in reference to ice skating. Oh, yeah. Because I trained in the martial arts back in the day, you know. Okay, taekwondo? Kung fu. Okay, tai well. Chi, uh, Chi Kong. And that comes out in my skating. And as a matter of fact, one kid once, once said, wow, mommy, he looks like a Power Ranger on ice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but a lot of people ask me, you know, are you a martial artist? I said, no, I'm a healing artist. And it's an important distinction. You know, I don't beat up on bags and kick on right. bags and stuff like that anymore. It's about energy. It's about love and healing. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep, and definitely why I seek you out for this, because I, I love that. I love the healing arts that you do. Thank you. Yeah, yep. All right, well, we're at the uh, towards the end of this interview, but... Okay. Um, hey, you, you know what you said about time passing? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that, exactly. That, that, means, that means you're great at what you do. Thank you. You made it very comfortable. Well, yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so before we go, I want to ask some quick hitter questions for you, just for fun, for people to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do, is there anything else that you would like to add or anything you think I might have missed asking? 
Well, as far as I'm not into too much the zodiac astrology, that type of thing, but yeah. I am a cancer, and mm. that's a water sign. Mm. And I love the water, whether it's frozen, whether I'm skating on it. Yeah. I kayak frequently in the bayou and Galveston Bay rivers and that type of thing. I love to swim as far as the things that I do outside of the art, but yet still are part of the art. Those are some of the things I, I, I'm passionate about, mm. playing music, uh, ice skating, and kayaking. Just being out in nature. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's when you can tune in to the, the vo quiet voice in yourself and also say you can make that connection to the higher being. So, and so that's interesting because you said that always when you do songwriting, you're, you're indoors you're by yourself, but you, you, there's never been a time when you're maybe in a park by yourself, just listening to things and, and something comes to sparks. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, that could happen too. Okay. Uh, but usually it's like, uh, from one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning where it, it drops yeah. and I'm up to six or seven, yeah. you know, uh, making sure uh, the structure of the song is where I can come back and finish it. Got it. You know? Yeah. And another thing happens. I mean, it's addictive when a song comes, and it expresses what's inside of you that you couldn't express otherwise. Yeah. There's a catharsis, and uh, that's, that's, that's almost like you want to live within that song as long as you can. Yeah. And every time you play that song, that energy is there, at least for me, mm. every time. But let, let me ask you this. Have you ever come up with a song while you're dreaming? Yes. I've actually extracted a song, music and lyrics, all the lyrics from a dream, only once. Oh, man. That's well, awesome. I woke up and it was right then. I grabbed the pen and wrote the lyrics down and grabbed my guitar and played the chords that I heard in my head. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, you know, it'd be nice if that happened every time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be. <laughs> All right. So let's get to these quick hitter questions. First one What's your favorite sports team? Uh, well, I mean, when it comes to football, it'd be the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Basketball, I'm going to go with the Rockets. <laughs> hey, both good answers. All right. Favorite movie or show? <sighs> hmm. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm in the sci-fi, I guess, you know, it, it, uh, I mean, Star Trek, I'm a Star Trek fan. No. Number one is Twilight Zone. Oh, okay. Yeah. The original? <laughs> the original, yeah. yeah. All right. I mean, matter of fact, Classic. when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I said one day when I grow up, I'm gonna own, I'm gonna be able to watch all the episodes that I, I want. And of course, now you have, I have them on DVD. You know, right. I never right. thought that would be possible, but that's what I wanted. Yep. So yeah, Twilight Zone for sure. <laughs> yeah. Before I get to the next one, the next question, you mentioned everything that's possible. You talked about being on a TV, being on a radio, opening for artists like Dizzy Gillespie. Did you ever think any of that would be possible? Eight years old when you started getting into music? Uh, I yeah, I dreamed about it. Ah, good. Yeah, nice, nice. I like it. <laughs> All right. So this is an interesting question. Favorite musical artist or group? Well, I always go back to. Uh, okay, here's a story. <laughs> you want the story? <laughs> uh, what, eight years old, my babysitter was doing her homework and she was playing records while she was doing her homework. Mm -hmm. And one record dropped, and this is 45, so to give you date to date the situation, you know. Right. And I heard this, this sound, and it's like I couldn't figure out what it was. It kind of sounded like a guitar, but I had never heard anything like that before. And I said, Who is that? 
And she said, West Montgomery. And I said, West Montgomery? I said, play that again. And so she got up and put the needle on the, you know, the record and played it again. And then it ended again. I said, play that again. <laughs> so about the fourth time, she said, here, let me show you how to play it. So she could go back to her homework. So I, I swear to God, I must have played that 20 times or more, wow. back to back to back. Uh, so you, you're talking about someone who inspired me, a single yeah. artist that inspired me, Wes Montgomery. Okay. Because uh, he, and that's another thing, I play with my fingers, I don't play with a pick. And of course, that was one of the things that he did. And he played octaves. I mean, that's not that I, I can play octaves, but that's not really my thing. But the fact that he played with his thumb and got a softer metal or tone out of his guitar. And he was so innovative and creative in the way he expressed himself. I mean, I'm getting excited just <laughs> thinking about it right now. You know, it's like I hear his music and his spirit in, in my mind and my heart. Wow. Uh, Wes Montgomery, that was one of the main influences. Okay. And I, after that, it would probably be Coltrane and Miles Davis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to look up Wes Montgomery. All oh, right. And, and then uh, Jimi Hendrix. Oh, yeah. But if you if you had to break, break down the four Mexican people who influenced me immensely, yeah. Yeah. Th those would be those. That, okay. That would be it. All right. Favorite vacation spot? Hmm. Well, Salt Lake City, Utah. My sister lives there, and she okay. lives a half a block from a, a mountain path a hiking path yeah it takes you up to a lake and then after that it takes you up to a waterfall then after that it takes you up to another waterfall if you've got enough <clears throat> in you right to do hours of hiking so, yeah utah right now that's been yeah. perfect for you loving the outdoors so, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah all right and favorite food or drink <laughs> if you ask anybody that knows me <laughs> the first thing that would come out of their mouth is popcorn Okay. <laughs> I like it. All right. So, so hey, love this. Loved interviewing with you. You oh, are. Man. You, it's a joy. Yeah, great. I'm great. I'm glad you think so. And your work that you do, it inspires so many. It's very uplifting and imp impacts so many people and kids. And just really love the work that you do. And so, thank you for what you do. Thank Keep you, doing it. it. And yeah, and thank you for coming on to Will the do. podcast. Uh, thank you for the invitation again. Uh, it's been wonderful. God bless, man. Take All care. All right. Same to you. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.